Hello everyone and welcome to the 12th episode of Encrypted. I'm coming to you live from Area 2071, Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. Encrypted is a weekly podcast dedicated to guide you through the blockchain and crypto universe. And today I am joined by my co-host Faisal, who just came back from Germany. Hey guys. How are you? I'm good, good. All good. Missing the weather in Germany. Yeah, well, it's getting better here in Dubai, to be honest. Yeah, I'll have to say that. Yeah. And we are also lucky to have a special guest with us today, Tariq. Say hello. Hello. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well. I'm excited to be on the show. Great. Great Welcome. to have you. Absolutely. Could you quickly introduce yourself? So my name is Tariq uh, Mohammed, or Mr. T for short. Uh, I work with OTC Supply, uh, DMCC, and I'm also part of Dubai Blockchain Center with Dr. Marwan al Great to have you. And today we're going to be talking about a lot of interesting news pieces from this week and last week. And so the first um, article that we have today is from the Wall Street Journal. This one I really liked. It's how dirty money disappears into the black hole of cryptocurrency. And the, basically here, the Wall Street Journal did an investigation which, it, which identified $90 million in suspected criminal proceeds that f- flowed through intermediaries like Shapeshift. Shapeshift is essentially an exchange where you could deposit a Bitcoin and you get Ethereum um, in the back. And um, so according to the journal, these criminals would use Bitcoins collected from some um, attacks like the WannaCry ransom attack and they would convert the Bitcoin into Monero. And they basically traced funds from 2,500 addresses and they basically got to this figure of $90 million. So what do you think of this startup? I mean, of course, when we talk about cryptocurrencies, uh, there are a lot of positives that come, a lot of positive things that come with cryptocurrency and also quite a few negative things. But I'm, I'm the kind of person that likes to put things on the facts. First and foremost, uh, let's go back to Bitcoin. It was designed and created to be able to provide a peer-to-peer uh, payment solution or innovation uh, without the requirement of a third party's trust. Having said that, the fundamental concept was to eliminate the banks, the excess cost associated with those transfers, payments, and to make it easy, easy, easier uh, than it is today with digital money. However, of course, we, we, there's a very good saying in the law enforcement industry. Uh, all new technology, uh, early adopters are usually criminals. These are the first guys that take advantage of new technologies, whether it is in cryptocurrency or in other technologies. Now, when you talk about Shapeshift, uh, and specific to the uh, WSJ journal, Shapeshift does provide an exchange within multiple wallets. Uh, the most famous one is Exodus, uh, and you don't need any identification or piece of information uh, to own that wallet, download it, or make those transfers. Now, having said that, a lot of uh, conventional cryptocurrency exchange, and it's funny I say conventional because this was only a few years ago, uh, do require a certain KYC process. But the issue is not with the exchange. The issue is not that the exchange is not requiring identification. The fact is that criminals are using the same blockchain technology or the same underlying technology of Bitcoin to develop other me- other protocols, uh, or sorry, maybe more correct, other methods to to establish different protocols, such as uh, proof of zero knowledge, which comes to the fact zero knowledge proof, proof exactly. Now, as a, sorry to cut you off, but as a, as a general concept, zero knowledge proof is basically saying that um, a party can prove 
that they know uh, a particular piece of information without actually revealing that piece of information. So for example, if you go to a movie theater and they ask you for um, age proof or something that you are, for example, plus 18, you basically show them your ID, your license or whatever, you're disclosing too much information that they don't want, basically. They only want to say that if you are above 18 or not. Zero, zero knowledge proof basically says, I can prove to you that I'm above 18, but you don't need to know anything else about me. That's a general explanation of the concept itself. And then this is why I come back again to the same thing. First adopters of new technologies are always criminals. They will find innovative ways on how they can use it for their own benefits. Uh, Faisal gave a good example on how it can be used. I mean, at the end of the day, if you want to go through any building access, as you said, you why share all the information to share what they need to know. That's more than enough to validate that piece of uh, data. Having said that, it's not only shape sh shape shift that's been that's been um, uh, part of that process of 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 I won't say facilitating uh, money laundering, but there's a few issues. If you go and list them one by one, the first, I can have a decentralized exchange that nobody owns and it can constantly be run, and I can run a few master nodes on them, and there are existing scams that exist within that space on its own. They're more complex as scams, but they are there. And also for cyber attacks, ransomware, as you've mentioned, WannaCry, they can all easily use Monero. The only problem now is that Monero, a lot of people have invested in it and they created a market space value for it. Because they've created that market space value, people are willing to hold Monero or criminals are willing to hold Monero because they know they can still have a value against it for fiat currency if they want to exchange it out. Yeah. And that's a challenge. I think a lot of uh, exchanges, and these, even, if, even if they take out Monero, it can still be used in decentralized exchanges. Absolutely. Even, so, even just atomic swaps as well. Atomic right? swaps yeah. and whatnot. So the way to really counter this is... Can you is, guys explain what atomic swap is I leave following that to, our policies? I leave, I leave that to Ahmed. So atomic swap is essentially where you could um, get one um, cryptocurrency from one existing blockchain and somehow through a decentralized application be able to um, quickly exchange it for different um, cryptocurrency, which is on another blockchain. So if you want to get Ethereum using your Bitcoins, you can do that. Um, so Shapeshift is essentially an, a centralized atomic swap. Um, and it allows you to actually quickly change from Bitcoin to Ethereum or Bitcoin to Monero. And it's really funny, actually, if you were to look at the, the most popular trades on Shapeshift, it kind of fluctuates between sort of Bitcoin to Monero, yeah. right? And it, it's funny, so that is one of the most popular trades. And it, it does change every day, but it's definitely sort of seen as in, in the top three or top five. And um, I mean, Shapeshift now... I, mean, I want to get your thoughts on the startup because um, you deal a lot with compliance. But Shapeshift now, I think today they're actually implementing a KYC policy or KYC procedure in Shapeshift. Um, they do say that it's not because they face any regulatory action, but just because they thought that it's something that they had to do. They want to de-risk themselves. Exactly. But I mean, even if Shapeshift does this, it doesn't change, again, the fact there's still a risk out there from decentralized uh, exchanges. And I'm, I'm just took coinmarketcap.com and very quickly just to show you, if you look at uh, Monero, for example, or even Dash, they both have a combined market, market cap of about $5 billion. 
and people are still believing in, in them, you got one side that is really pushing the value up are those what I call rebellious investors, those that are against the the conventional dogma. So as long as you're pushing those prices up, criminals will still be able to use it. But if, uh, for example, Monero or these other uh, zero-proof knowledge coins fell to lower values, they will not be willing to hold them. And this is where the risk is. But again, why are criminals using again cryptocurrency? If you go back to the fundamental fundamentals of it, it's, first of all, uh, easier to move around relative to... So we actually have had this talk about um, cryptocurrency being used for illicit purposes. We actually, like, even through a bit of research, through different articles, um, we've seen that it's actually harder to launder money through cryptocurrency. Okay, depending which cryptocurrency. So I think that's part of the, the, so the problem. So it was really interesting in this research, they saw that when Bitcoin, when they saw um, these, you know, potential criminal addresses, it went from, you know, address A went to, and then went to address B or C, this and then went a, to an exchange. This is something what we call uh, know your funds flow. Know your exactly. So this is something where we've implemented also in our company. We there's two existing solutions globally that work very well: chain analysis and cipher. Uh, we use a different uh, software, uh, something we've built in house. But we have all the addresses, we have all the the transactions that have been used for illicit purposes, whether it was information shared on open source uh, cases or with other exchanges uh, around the world, and that information is there. Now, the key concern for you as an investor, and this is where we probably are allowed to market a little bit ourselves, the OTC supply, is we guarantee uh, that the coins that you purchase with us haven't been associated with any criminal activity because the coins that we tend to trade on or we sell on or purchase are usually what we like to call virgin coins or clean coins, which means they haven't been associated with any former silkroad.com bust or any of those ransomware uh, attacks that's been used or criminal. So this is something that we really, really focus on and are really take it as our priority. And we're very difficult, uh, and I say this very difficult in terms of compliance. We don't onboard every client. And we want to keep it that way because we're not here to grow a business model, but rather to serve a marketplace in the sense that we are present within the marketplace. There's a channel, an organization, a company which you can approach and, uh, you know, do your, do your exchange or your trades with safely. And you know that what you're getting is secured. Okay, so maybe it's worth explaining to the, uh, to the audience how actually um, these transactions or these flows or even these accounts can be associated with illicit activities like we've been talking we've talked about this in our previous episode or a couple of episodes um, uh, back that it's not a wise move to use blockchain solutions cryptocurrencies to do illicit transactions or money laundering essentially so maybe it's worthwhile explaining why that is the case so basically, it's the, the so the way the the journal actually traced these the suspicious cryptocurrency trades were they basically got all the information regarding um, um, you know basically when users complained that they got hacked when there was a you know a scam an ICO scam so essentially when when all these happen you could easily say okay this is the address that stole my coins and then the journal goes out and they're, they're able to sort of see them and track them. I think they worked with Elliptic. It's a, it's also um, sort of a blockchain analysis firm. 
um, they're based in London. There's elliptic yeah. chain analysis yeah. and cipher trace. Exactly. And to, to go back to also just, uh, you know, sort of the money laundering aspect is, it's funny because, you know, just a couple of days ago, Dance Bank, so one of the biggest banks in Denmark, they were found to have laundered $235 billion. And no. the current market cap of, big of cryptocurrencies is currently $225 billion. It's also HSBC, it's also yeah. Standard Chartered that was doing business during, uh, with Iran during the sanctions and with other countries. Venezuela also, they were, there was also some other banks dealing with the New York Bank, if I'm mistaken. But in the end of the day, there are many, uh, the world's not perfect, right? At the end of the day, we need to do what it is best in our capacity to ensure uh, responsible trading, responsible investment, and uh, minimizing uh, all risks that exist uh, in the market space. Whether it is for us as a company, as our clients, or as the community itself within the, the, the region. So we really strive on doing that, but we do give advice to people. Mm. Uh, to bit stay away from those kind of coins and to really invest in key and uh, let me put it this way key deliverables key deliverables is very important absolutely so moving on to our next topic and the next article um, this actually is really interesting because us three actually were having a debate on uh, on the Dubai blockchain whatsapp group and um, it was up to like what 1am I think. 2 a.m. 2 a.m. You added, you added wood to the fire. Yeah. <laughs> and essentially, the, the, the debate was all about sort of p private versus public blockchains. And we actually had someone in the group who said, you know, Ethereum's a total failure, smart contracts won't work. And funnily enough, a couple of days later after um, that debate, we saw this really interesting article that um, I think it was an opinion piece on Coindesk, which was how I lost my faith in private blockchains. And we're like, great, this is... Awesome. Um, and as soon as I showed it to Faisal, he just sort of loved it. Yeah, I mean, during that discussion, um, I was the, the the more diplomatic person <laughs> in the discussion, not taking any extreme sides into things. Because the way I see it, although I completely agree that blockchains in nature are the, the, the explanation of being public, uh, permissionless, and being completely devoted of any central authority to govern anything. Um, I mean, that's the, the ideal use case or the ideal state that we all want to get into, at least the people who, who are advocating this technology. But the way I see it is that we are going through an evolution, and I don't think we can get there without um, hitting a couple of walls, uh, failing a couple of times, trying out different things, and the way I see it, private blockchains or permissioned blockchains is just one way of doing that. So it's just are you, one route. Because so he, he basically explained his frustration, the four years of working and giving basically enterprise solution for banks. And essentially he goes, he boils it down to one sort of simple fact and says that blockchains are specifically designed to prevent central governance. But when it's deployed in a, you know, enterprise um, fashion then there would be this central governance so in your sort of work as you know working smart Dubai helping deploy blockchain solutions for the strategy are you seeing sort of similar um, you know comparisons yeah I mean that that's one of the the things that every use case has to go through 
I mean, to identify if it's a proper fit or not, that's a very basic step that everything, every use case has to go through. Now, it's becoming, or it's became a buzzword, and people are starting to think of it as an end solution. And then they're, they're working their way downwards. So they want to say, I want to have a blockchain in place, now let's find the use case about it. And then they're kind of overfitting. You know the, 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 the term of overfitting um, a solution to a problem or creating a problem to fit a solution? That's how most of the implementations are going, uh, not just in government, in any kind of implementation. And because it's, you know, it's being driven by different marketing um, agendas, different sales agendas, this is becoming a means to actually reach more people or be fancy about things. And I want to add to a point of Faisal, and this is where the confusion happens. Blockchain, in its essence, in its fundamental essence, is simply an audit log for your information or your data that cannot be forged or replicated in any other manner. What does that provide? The assetization of information for any industry or, or sector. But though the problem now is that everybody's running on blockchain for a quick fix and the debate happened because of public versus hybrid versus uh, private people want to implement blockchain projects but the problem they're trying to implement it to fix an existing problem that problem is there is no central or sorry not central there is no uniformity on how our data is being used today there's not one single methodology uh, classification of data or information that's being used today. I mean, Dubai government came up with the Dubai data law and the Dubai data establishment that is, will take time, but it will fix certain things within our regulatory framework as the city of Dubai. But people are saying, oh, we need to use blockchain because it will solve the reconciliation process of the banks. The problem today with the banks, for example, and I think that was, that was the topic of the debate, if I transfer from my bank account on my app to your bank, which is bank A to bank B, I will still have to wait 24 hours to 48 hours. If you've done a transfer on, on Thursday afternoon, well, bad luck. It will take only till Monday to reach. And that's the case that's having an error. If I've issued checks and payments as an organization and I want to take that accounting and balancing, I need to wait 45 days to 60 days. So people are finding blockchain is much easier if they can link that transfer with that piece of data. That's how they're trying to figure out the quick fix. But in my opinion, I don't think that is the right methodology forward because it's not a permanent solution. It's temporary till the problem becomes bigger than its size. And it's a matter of time. Um, nevertheless, uh, if we are able, and this should be something driven by every stakeholder in the city, private, public, to come to an agreement to, un to, to put that data in uniformity, then we can take it to the next level and reduce all the errors that we have by implementing a city-wide blockchain case. And I'm sure Smart Dubai, and I mean, Faisal is on my right. He is the expert in this, who has much better uh, insights than me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mean, what's I, I really like one piece of the article where he says... Um, and I completely agree with Tarak when he says that the most noble um, benefit that blockchain brings to the table is decentralization. And when I say decentralization, I mean removing that central governing authority in between any transaction. Because 
and this could be argued a lot, there is no single technical advantage that blockchain brings to the table that a normal distributed database cannot bring. And in most cases, they don't, a blockchain solution will not even get close to the efficiency and scalability of a distributed database system. I, th I think there's only one, uh, I might disagree with you on this one, on this one, but again, for the sake of the debate, um, or sake of the information for our listeners, I think blockchain does provide one thing that the central database doesn't provide, is the protection security from uh, getting uh, hacked. In my no. opinion, unless if it's not, and if it's, uh, let me put it this way, if it's a standalone, but if it is within Oracle, that risk is still there. Because I'm looking at your face and it's like, yeah, I know what you're going to say. No, I know that risk, but still, I think information is there. Also, the fact of no central point of, con no central point of failure, which is also important. But again, I mean, that's, now this is where it gets interesting. Now, whatever you just mentioned, is true when it comes to a public blockchain. But not private. But not a private, private. because at okay. the end of the day, when you are in a public blockchain, you're essentially dealing with thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of nodes. So it, the single point of failure is eliminated for sure. Tampering with anything, then we get into the 51% the atta attack. That's, that's out there. But now when you're implementing it in a permissioned environment, you're essentially just enlarging your footprint you're saying instead of having a single point of failure i'm going to have three points of failure yeah and and basically to sort of um so to go back to your point about why you know the, all these many nodes in the public blockchain network is because each node would have the same amount of information and when a new piece of information comes online each node has to update and verify it before it actually gets logged in um so this is why sort of this the private blockchain would be able to enable more and faster transactions. And what, what about, so you've mentioned Hyperledger before, sort of when we were talking a bit offline. I mean, Hyperledger, um, I mean, Hyperledger is, a, is an umbrella, an umbrella project. And their project named Fabric is basically a permissioned <laughs> blockchain mm -hmm. solution. So basically, it's an enterprise level, it's an enterprise grade, where they basically say that this is a permissioned blockchain. Uh, it has the capabilities of running smart contracts or, or what they refer to as being chain codes. But that's, that's the extent of it. It's a private permission blockchain. Now, that's not to say that this is something bad or this is something um, useless. Because in my point of view, um, when you think of the public, yes, um, a public blockchain makes sense like, because you're dealing with the masses. But why not have that decentralized environment when it comes to entities dealing together. I mean, B2B. as of today, yeah, exactly, yeah. in a B2B or a G2G government to government, as of today, there's, there's always one third party entity involved. Now, why don't we eliminate that in, the, in this kind of environment? This is where I see, I'm not saying um, uh, like the, um, a revolution, and you, the other day you put it in a very nice way. I mean, this is only an incremental innovation. I completely agree mm. with you. Now, where the disruption comes in is really the public blockchain solutions. But let's, I mean, just to add on Facebook's point, there's not one single solution that fixes all problems. There's not one protocol that discredits all the other protocols. And I know a lot of people in the blockchain sector industry like to have that debate that, yes, this is better, that it's, it's not better, this is better for this reason. Every, I don't want to say use case, every uh, application 
has its own needs and requirements and has its own space for innovation whether it is incremental or disruptive the question is which one it is how do we implement it and what is the second step to take it further after implementation what do you do after implementing it and this is the the framework would I suggest everybody to look at great um, moving on to the next article um, and this is this is going a bit um, outside into the exchange space uh, extremely difficult conditions India's Zebpay shutters crypto exchange over central bank ban um, just to give a bit of context Zebpay is one of India's largest um, crypto exchanges and essentially this cryptocurrency exchange Zebpay announced it has stopped all trading due to the country's banking ban um, and this banking ban for cryptocurrency um, related projects and exchanges happened on July 6th but they continue to operate for the next sort of three months but now they decided to stop all operations even the crypto to crypto and this is it's a bit unfortunate to see so regarding the flow of funds perspective um, you know do, do you think this is something that you know we're, we're going to be likely seeing more when it comes to different exchanges worldwide um that's a very very good question and people usually say it's a very good question to figure out how to answer that question <laughs> but uh and look in my opinion every, every everything is still new and again whether it is bitcoin and cryptocurrency space or blockchain technology everything is still very new and people are not aware or they don't want to deal with it because they cannot evaluate those risks it's human nature when they cannot evaluate a certain risk they fear it and they worry about it and because like articles earlier in the wall street journals we discussed earlier in the podcast talks about 90 million dollars uh being used for illicit transfers i'm sure that the regulators in the central bank of india are picking up the wall street journal in the morning and reading that article saying hey we got the biggest cryptocurrency in exchange in india we need to shut it down if that's happening with them why do we allow them to keep it up we don't want to be under yeah, the so risk. They, they decided to shut it down themselves without the regulator saying you guys have to shut down which is which is again a different dogma yeah. but at the end of the day uh, i mean countries uh, especially in emerging markets uh, do not want to take any risk because they all come under the 40 fat of financial task force uh, financial task force uh, uh, view and say or but can't they sort of in a way leapfrog right i mean again it's emerging markets like you said isn't it not in you know it's it's a good place for them to say you know what let's actually try and lead in this space from the discussions that i've had on the regulators that are responsible within the emerging markets they tend to have a wait and see approach which means what they rather see the europe the european countries or more established markets financial markets at least to do something first and then they follow because they're worried if they lead that the risk associated for them is not maybe worth the the the, the thrill for it and this is something which is very true i mean in the end of the day india is a very big market space uh whether india asia or the other countries they have very big opportunities within the financial technology sectors i mean if you consider india probably if i'm not i mean i'm giving a rough number but probably the majority of them of indians are still undocumented they haven't requested a travel document and the second they're unbanked mm-hmm. if we can say oh you know what we'll solve this problem enabling blockchain technologies for the documentation we'll solve it for the banking solution for implementing something like mpesa but enabling a 
blockchain solution to it, then yes, you've done great innovations, but it takes not an entrepreneur to do that. It takes an entire community to do it from different stakeholders, through exactly. their private or public. Central banks shutting down exchanges is not something new, but if they have an ability to work somehow a win-win situation and says, okay, dear crypto exchange in India, we'll allow you to operate. However, we can only buy certain minimum amounts. You can only place certain currencies and then we'll allow you to operate. Because if you look at certain other exchanges like Kraken, for example, versus Bittrex or Binance, you can see their offerings are very different. Yeah. And the reason why their offerings are very different is that some exchanges want to lead the marketplace in a much more professional manner versus conventional other exchanges, not I would say conventional, mm-hmm. that just wants to get the marketplace and the revenue. So if we can see some exchanges, without mentioning any names or, or favorism for any of them, they've been very, very, very uh, um, traditional in, or in their thought process. I mean, even us in OTC Supply, we only accept Bitcoin and Ethereum. We do not trade for any other cryptocurrencies, do not meet our set standards, and we're very clear with that. Okay, and to bring it close to home as well, um, and also to touch on the sort of, uh, you know, the central bank giving conditions, um, I think, at least here, we have two Bitcoin ATM machines, um, and uh, the central bank has only allowed sort of a limit of 1,000 dirhams, which is approximately $200, $300 to be bought or sold um, per day for every customer. So I, th- I think these sort of restrictions as a, you know, as just, you know, a beginning. Some might criticize them. I embrace them. Yeah, I, I agree as well. I the reason why, well. it's a start. It's a start, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Totally agree. It's a, uh, I'd rather do a small step uh, than, than, than taking a big step with much bigger risks associated with it. And uh, just in case you didn't catch that guy, that was Ahmed saying an eight, a Bitcoin ATM, and that's here in Area 2071. Yes, <laughs> in Emirates welcome. Towers. In Emirates Towers, you're really welcome to come and have a look at it. I guess. Or buy your own Bitcoins. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And just to add one point to this discussion, the way I see it, I, I wish more of these, uh, this kind of incident would happen. Because the way I see it, this puts more pressure into the regulator bodies to what, actually What stop. do you mean exactly? I mean, them, which, uh, I mean, an exchange having to shut down because the regulations are not clear. Okay. This is not a good yeah. sign when it comes to Apparently the Apparently, they're going to Singapore. This is what I call bad yeah. compliance. Exactly. Now, this, yeah. it's bad compliance or it's a lack of compliance because there is nothing to be compliant with, you know? This is what I tell to people. You... Your job is not to make businesses difficult. Your job is to make it easier and safe for businesses. Your job is to attract money. And every time, and when we have come, people that come to supply, some of them have criticized me uh, for not opening accounts. I tell them very clearly, my job is to facilitate the business process for you, not to 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 make it difficult. And I can give you a small example. I mean, I have people that come and say, oh, I have someone who wants to sell 1,000 Bitcoins. I have someone who wants to buy 1,000 Bitcoin. Uh, I'm like, fair enough. Refer them. Let them them open an account. Let them them do the evaluation, that third party. And they're like, no, I'll do it under my name. And I immediately tell them that it's not going to work out. And they're very upset usually. And then once I explain them the risk associated with putting your name, then they realize and understand that yeah. they don't willing to take that step. And at the end of the day, as a compliance officer, as 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 someone who all wants to support the community, we want to make things happen. We want to make them things happen in small steps, gradually, 
but safe and we make everybody happy and hopefully don't step on anybody's toes. Yeah, I completely agree. And just to finish that point, I mean, when you said that they are actually um, thinking of moving to Singapore, that's not a good sign for the economy of India, for example. And if more and more of these happen, that will only put more pressure on these bodies to start really looking into how to regulate things. Yeah. And I guess we also discussed um, another uh, article that we are not covering here in the show where the same kind of situation or the same kind of pressure is being put on the SCE of the states. The SEC. Yeah. SEC, SCE of the states, where they are actually requesting or pr- putting more pressure into on them to actually come up with a clearer regulations mm. when it comes to this domain. Because all the companies from the US or all the They're just missing out. Going to other places. Exactly. And yeah. this is not a very good sign for the economy. And for me, again, like I said, I'm very happy to hear these kind of things because that will only push the regulatory bodies to get off and start working. <laughs> because mm. we are really... We, 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 I mean, that, that train will leave and we have to get on board. I mean... We don't want to miss out on anything, and this is really, uh, um, at the end of the day, this is this whole boils down to whatever you want to do in your future as a country. You you actually have to get into that train. Great, great to hear. Um, so, Tariq, how could people get in touch with you? How could they get in touch with OTC Supply? OTC Supply, as simple as it's simple as that. How about if they wanted to discuss anything with you? They wanted to sort of disagree with your comments or. Catch me if you can. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And as ever, guys, you could um, reach us on um, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. We're at Encrypted. So do check us out. Um, and yeah, if you haven't subscribed, hit that subscribe button. Um, review and rate the show. And if you like the show, tell a friend, tell them to tune in. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. All the best. Thank you. Peace out. Peace out.